This is episode number 99 with Jana Basto of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host from Melbourne, Australia. And today we have a super awesome guest. Her name is Jana Bastow and she's the founder of a company called ProdPad. And uh, this tool helps you build product roadmaps now, I have to be honest, I didn't, uh, you know, we don't run a SaaS-based company. We don't build software in particular at Founder. But when I started speaking to Jana, I started to realize how extremely important her software can be if you want to map out the, I guess, the roadmap of your product or your service. And uh yeah, it was a fascinating talk around, you know, what it takes to build a product that people love. And like, you know, when you first start your company and if you're working on a product or a service, you have all these crazy ideas and you have so many things hitting you and you just don't know where to start. So what's cool about ProdPad is it just uh, allows you to build a visual representation of the roadmap on how you plan to build out that product or service. And, uh, you know, me and Jana, we had a great chat around working with uh, remote workers and managing a remote team. She has employees and team members from all around the world. And uh, it's really, really interesting to see um, how she manages everyone and keeps everyone, in, uh, I guess, on the same page. And then we also talk about, you know, what it takes to build an epic product or service that people will love. And then, you know, we take a twist and find out, you know, how she's trying to grow this bootstrap startup and uh, what's working, what's not working, what are the challenges that she's going through right now. We also find out how she got her first 100 customers and the things you can do to fair feedback. It's really, really fascinating conversation. So that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. 
just go to foundermag.com forward slash review podcast. Okay, now let's jump into the show. So the first question I ask uh, everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? How did I get my job? I mean, I got my first job in product management. Uh, I was basically a uh, customer support rep for a tech company um, about a decade ago. And uh, I had, had never heard of product management, didn't know anything about it. But they picked up on the fact that I was good at calling out bugs when I found them and uh, relating them to the dev team and working with them on that. Uh, and so the, uh, one day my boss plucked me out and said, um, you know, hey, I'd like to make you a junior product manager. And I was like, great, I like the sound of that. What is it? (laughs) I honestly didn't know what it was when I started, but ended up absolutely loving the role. And basically it was a role that encompassed talking to the customers, figuring out what was working, what wasn't working with the product, uh, working with the developers to make sure that they understood what was to be built next and working with the business side to make sure that what we're building was best for the company. Mm, I see. And, uh, how has that helped you in what you do today? Tell us a little bit more about uh, your job today. So today I run a company called ProdPad and we build product management software. Uh, and this was a long time coming. When I first started as a junior product manager back uh, 10 years ago, uh, one of the first things I did was look up you know, what tools exist for product managers. How do I do a roadmap or how do I do a requirements document? And there was so little in the way of resource available. There's just nothing there. And so over the course of uh, my next two job changes, I ended up starting to put together what was the beginning of ProdPad, so a tool that I was actually using within my own company. Uh, So I was working with my co-founder, Simon Cast, and he was building the back end, I was building the front end. And it actually took us a couple of years of using this thing internally and using it with just our friends and uh, product people around us that we realized that what we had was actually worth getting out there and uh, setting up as a company in its own right. So in 2012, we quit our jobs and we went to go focus on ProdPad full time. I see. And you guys are based out of London? We're based out of London, yeah. And uh, can you give us uh, an insight before we get into the, the details around, you know, products, what makes a good product, roadmaps, requirements, documents, all that kind of stuff that I'm really interested about. Can you give us an update of, of where the company's at since 2012? Sure. So when we launched this thing in 2012, uh, we had no customers. We had uh, just the two of us and we were just hacking away. Uh, Today, we're a team of six. We're based in London, Brighton, Berlin and Slovenia. And uh, we've got about 400 customers all around the world. So we've been growing since the day that we started. And uh, it's really great to see so many different companies and such a wide variety of different types of product managers making use of it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's that's awesome. And um, that, that sounds like many different cities uh, for a team of six. Um, how does that work exactly? <laughs> Mostly Slack, to be honest. Ah. Uh, we've, we've always been a remote team. My co-founder and I have never actually worked in the same office. We've always worked remotely for various reasons. Mm. We ended up picking up our development team. Uh, it's a great company that we've worked with in the past, and so we wanted to continue working with them, even though they happen to be based in Slovenia. And we've picked up the best people wherever they happen to be in the world, whether that's Brighton or Berlin or where, wherever else we find people. So we don't want to just tie people down and say, you know what, you've got to be the best and you've got to be based in London, we're happy to say, 
wherever you happen to be based, that's okay. As long as you're willing to come join us for an offsite, uh, you know, a couple of times a quarter or, you know, make sure that you're on Skype or Slack or wherever else we need to communicate on a regular basis. Mm, I see. So it sounds like you outsource your development. Is that, is that correct or, or portion of it? Sort of. So you use like, um, <laughs> sort like, of. A, like a service that, 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 that uh, like an agency or, or some, a company that helps manage it? Uh, sort of. Um, so the company that we work with is a company called D-Labs. And as I mentioned, they're based in Slovenia. It's actually a team of about 80 or so developers, one of the biggest ones in Slovenia and certainly one of the best. We've worked with them for years now. Um, actually, Simon was working with them before we even started Prodpad, so really trust them, really knows them. And the guys who are on the team, Bino and Alesh, they've been part of our team for a couple of years now. Um, so they're part of the, the Prodpad family, um, even though they're not necessarily technically officially employed by the company. Gotcha. So so you, you come to this company uh, in, in Slovenia. You say, you know, this is what we're looking at building or what we want to work on. And, yeah. then, and then they'll help you uh, find the right person within their crew. Yeah, exactly. So we've been working with uh, a couple of guys there pretty much full time for the last couple of years. But it's great because it means that if we need uh, an extra QA person for a month because we're doing a big project, we can pull somebody from their team, bring them in. They already know who they're working with. They already know a lot about the company uh, and they can just jump on. Same thing with the designer or a UX person or occasionally we'll need support with uh, code that we don't usually work in, like .NET, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've got basically you know, a few people working on very different things throughout the company. And it means that we can just pull on these different resources as needed. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I see. And how does that work around support or do you have devs, uh, dedicated devs as well? So uh, in terms of support, we've got uh, one person, Andrea, in-house is our head of customer success. She leads pretty much everything to do with support and talking to our customers. In terms of how that works with the developers, uh, she keeps on top of it to figure out what are the big, big bugs that are happening right now, what are people complaining about, and talking to the developers and making sure that they know what's at the top of the queue. We don't have dedicated developers just for bugs. We don't have enough to justify that kind of thing, uh, but we do slot them in alongside all the other improvements that are constantly going out the door. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, interesting. And um, are you guys 100% bootstrapped? Have you raised some funding, looking to raise? What's your take on that? We are 100% bootstrapped. Uh, when we started this thing, myself and my co-founder said, we don't want to start a startup in the sense of creating something that takes you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds to get started and uh, fuels the growth with the hopes of it kind of paying back down the line. We wanted to start a business. And so we focused on getting revenue from day one. We made sure that what we launched right away was something that we could charge for and that people were willing to pay for. And so when we launched the product in February 2013, we had our first paying customer within weeks of that. I see. And uh, what has been your best source of customer acquisition? Because uh, you guys are a SaaS, right? So um, yeah. what, what have you found is the best way to sell your particular SaaS product? 
the best way is by making sure that you appear at the top of Google and making sure that you've got good content that people want to read and want to learn from. Most of the people who come to us, almost entire, our entire customer base has come from organic means, as in they've uh, looked up something like, uh, how do I do a roadmap or how do I do a user story? And we'll have an article on our blog about that or a guest post somewhere else about that. And then they see that we actually have a software that they can try for free and they sign up and uh, they go from there. Mm, okay, awesome. Now let's actually get into the nitty gritty, Jana, around you know what it takes to build a great product, what a roadmap looks like, requirements document, user story, all these awesome things that a lot of people when they build products, they probably don't even know what these things are why are they important first of all why do you need to have these core components in building a great product so the first thing to look at is what the role of a product manager is the product manager first and foremost is a communicator they sit in the intersection of the business side the customers facing side and the technology side essentially it's up to them to help figure out what is technically feasible valuable for the customers and profitable for the company and uh, outline the the roadmap based on that. Now, that said, there's a lot of different aspects of being a product manager. You've got the really high-level thinking, which is you know out, outlining what's your product vision and what are the big steps you're going to take to get along that uh, get to that vision. What does your roadmap look like? As well as the really nitty-gritty in terms of you know what here's how uh, if we're going to go do this, then let's break this down into a user story that includes these components and a mock-up that includes this much and uh, you know work with the developers to get it built. So it's a um, you end up slingshotting from high-level thinking to really detail-oriented thinking on a day-to-day basis. Hmm, I see. And and what about like somebody like a solopreneur or, or, or like a – because a lot of, you know, companies that are just starting out, you know, early-stage startups, uh, they don't always have a product manager. It tends – would you say that it tends to be – one of the founders or the solo founder that's kind of in charge of product in the early days? Yeah, almost in all cases. When you look at it, uh, what you'll tend to find are people who don't necessarily know that they're product people. They haven't labeled themselves that because they've never had that role or thought about it that way. Mm. Uh, but if you're somebody who's come up with an idea for an app or a product or something like that, uh, and you're the one talking to engineering or talking to yourself maybe um, (laughs) about uh, what you want to do to make sure that it's uh, built properly. You are the product person. You are the one who's talking to your customers, even if you only have one of them. Uh, You are the person who is talking to the developers, even if you are the developers and you're the one making the ultimate product decisions. As the company grows, what you'll tend to find is that this uh, solopreneur will end up figuring out that, uh, you know, they can get more done if they get another developer or they can get more done if they get another designer or they can get more done if they get uh, somebody to help market it. And in time, you'll find that they'll end up taking on the role of CEO or a business manager type role or stepping aside and taking that product role themselves. So it's Mm. up to them as to whether they end up moving into product from there as they want to keep close to that product and what it is that they've created, then that's often the the case. If they are actually more passionate about building the business itself, then usually when the company hits 10 to 20 people or so, they're really going to start feeling that need for a dedicated product person. Mm, Yeah, no, that was a fantastic breakdown. Uh, because, you know, where we're at, I, I see myself or someone in my team, David, as this product person. 
And I'm really curious uh, from your aspect, you've seen, you know, you work with a lot of product people. What makes a good product and what do people need to be fundamentally doing uh, to make a good product? And let's walk through some of these, I guess, frameworks or ways of, of thinking about breaking it down into a detailed orientated process. Yeah. Well, that's a big question right there because you're saying, what does it take to make a good product? And I mean, to start with, you have to look at what a good product is. When you think of the best products that are out there, they're things that are both loved by their users, um, useful, they have a, a reason to exist, and they provide value to the company. You know, they're not just being given away for free, um, they're providing uh, something back to that company, whether it's the data that they need or whether it's um, you know revenue that's coming in. Now, in terms of how you actually go about doing that, there's a lot at play. You know, the the core things are that you need to be talking to your customers first and foremost to make sure that what it is you're building is in fact valuable. So many times I see people coming up with an idea, and because they've come up with the idea, they think it's the best thing. <laughs> um, but it's only when it's actually aired that they, when they actually start talking to friends and family and potential customers, that they realize that maybe it's not so, you know, such a great idea. But you know, there's also it's it's not always black and white. You know, when we first started building Prodpad, we built it for our own needs. I was a product manager at one company, and my co-founder was a product manager at another company. We just needed a tool like Prodpad. And bear in mind, this is before we even called it Prodpad. But what we did was we built a tool that was suitable for two product managers to use. When we started airing it with our product peers and other companies, we realized that they work in different enough ways that what we built wasn't useful for them. So even though we thought we were our market, turns out we weren't. There was so much more that we could learn from other people. Today, ProdPad's been shown to thousands of product managers and has had feedback from those thousands of product managers. And so very much reflects best practices and what people are looking to achieve. But very early on, it's hard to do that because you don't have that cus- those customers. And it can be very difficult to show your first version of a product, which is you know usually a quite embarrassing version of your product. Uh, mm. It's very hard to show that to somebody and take that critical feedback when they say, yeah, it's all right, but I wouldn't pay for it. Or yeah, it's all right, but you know, it kind of fell apart in my hands <laughs> or whatever the case may be. And that's usually how these products get started. Um, so talking to your customers, even from day one, is hugely important. And uh, also understanding what else is in the market. What is the competition for your product? And not just strictly competition in terms of uh, the direct apps who are competing with you on the same keywords that your customers are searching for, but what else could they use besides you? More often than not, you'll find like any SaaS company, any SaaS tool could probably be replaced with an Excel spreadsheet or a whiteboard if somebody so wished, at least in a basic version. Mm. You, when you realize that a pen and paper or a post-it note is your biggest competitor, you know, hello to all the uh, people making to-do lists, for example, <laughs> it, be- it becomes very difficult to make sure that you're building the right thing. And so they have to be conscious of what else is out there and how you actually add value and how you actually differentiate yourself from these different options. Hmm. Okay. So let's say you've launched and, you know, you, you said you, you're really hemping down that you need to be speaking to your customers, your, your users, people that are trying this product out. How, like, what's the best way to go about that? Uh, do you, do you use Like, do you like intercom? Like, do you have a, a standard email that you send to people? Like what, how, how does that work? 
So it depends on the stage that you're at. I mean, before you even so much as break code, before you start putting anything down, I would always recommend that you sketch out a few ideas on paper and start showing them around to people who are just around you, other colleagues, other uh, peers, your friends, your family, whoever will listen. Once you've actually got your app up and going, you know, we didn't have anything like Intercom or any support system at all in place for the first year of ProdPad. We just simply used an email address. And as a matter of fact, our outgoing emails, even our welcome emails, were customized. They were handwritten by me, but made to look as if they might have been, you know, somewhat um, automated so that we didn't look like we were absolutely tiny. But when you've only got one customer signing up for a trial per day, you can spend your entire day figuring out who is this person and why did they sign up and how did they find us and what are they looking to get out of this? And I would just send messages to them saying, hey, I'd love to just jump on a quick call with you and find out what you're trying to achieve and you know show you what we have so far, but also get your ideas on how we can improve this. And so we spent months and months and months just constantly talking to our earliest, earliest users, who uh, some of who are actually still with us today, and many of whom actually inspired our early development based on their feedback and what they pointed out we weren't doing right. Mm, I see. And how often, like, when do you know that you, there's enough feedback, like, that, that you need to definitely do something? How do you gauge that? So when you're really early stage, oftentimes the stuff that'll come through is just blatantly obvious. It's probably stuff that you even thought about, but you ended up scoping out because you couldn't be bothered to build it or you didn't have enough time to build it, which is okay. You shouldn't try to build everything all in your first go. You should actually try to build a really simplified, minimal version of your product to get going. But then you'll talk to people and they'll say, hey, this is great, but it seems kind of obvious that I should be able to search, right? You're like, (laughs) you're right, okay. Or I should be able to tag things or I should be able to do this, that, and the other. And some of this stuff will come off as really obvious and you only need one or two people to point it out that you go, yeah, okay, we should definitely consider this one. Other stuff, particularly as the app evolves, you'll start getting more and more advanced questions or feedback requests and you'll start getting a sense for what is universally useful versus what is useful for only that one particular user. Typically, there's no real way of quantifying that because it all comes down to not just the amount of people who are asking for it, but also how does it map with your bigger product vision? How does it sit with your roadmap? Is it going to push other stuff out that is more important? Um, So the product manager has to constantly think about all these different areas in terms of, you know, if we were to build this, would we then have to support it and sell it and market it properly and fix it when it breaks and all this other stuff versus, you know, working on something simple that is really obvious. Hmm. There's always trade-offs that they could be doing. I see. And when it comes to a product roadmap, uh, how does ProdPad help you work that out? And, and, And how does it help you like, like, how does that part work? So a roadmap is simply a document that communicates the direction you're going to be going in order to meet your product vision. So ProdPad actually starts out by asking you to enter your product vision. And this is something that any company should have, any product manager should have, any entrepreneur should have, is a vision of what they want to be. And don't worry, that vision can change uh, as they learn more about it, but just making sure that they've sat down in paper or in ProdPad somewhere, you know, we want to be the X of Y, or, you know, we're going to be doing this uh, in order to change this part of the world, whatever it is that that vision is. And that way they know that they, um, are heading in the right direction and everybody they work with 
understands that they're heading in that same direction. The next step is to then start breaking down what you could be doing along the way. What problems need to be solved in order to meet that product vision? You don't want to give a list of features that need to happen because, to be honest, the features will get defined as you start talking to customers and start understanding what their actual problems are. But if you start talking to customers and they say, hey, I've got a real big problem. I've put all this stuff in here, but now I can't export it. I can't get it out. I can't share it. That becomes almost a theme. you got all these people are saying, I need export stuff, or you've got all these people saying, I need search stuff, or I need profiles, or whatever else. These start becoming themes, and you start grouping them together. And each of these themes you can classify as something that should happen in current term. You're working on it pretty much now. You've got stuff that is happening in the near term, so whatever's happening after the, the next few sprints. And then you've got stuff that's being pushed off till the future. So in ProdPad, we call these themes, we, we call these roadmap cards. And they're basically blocks that you add to your roadmap that help you classify, you know, you might have a problem that you want to solve in the future around export options, for example. You might then attach specific features that you think are going to solve that problem or different experiments that you want to run to that particular card. And then you can actually see this high level look at your roadmap to say, okay, so here's where we are now. This is what we're working on right now and the different features that are playing in there. But here's where we're going to where we're going to be going in the near term and the future. One thing we actually recommend with your roadmap is that it's not just this tool that you work on and then just updates once a month to show to your board advisors or whatever else. This is something that your team should be able to see, should have buy-in for, and should even have their input into, as well as showing this to your customers. Now, you don't necessarily have to show the entire roadmap to your customers, including all the features, but giving them an idea as to the big steps you can be taking between now and the future can make a huge difference in terms of the feedback that comes back from them. You know, for example, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, we really need these export options, I can say to them, that's great. We're definitely considering that. It's on the roadmap. You can see it here now. But look at all this other stuff that we think is more important than export options that's coming up in the roadmap sooner. And they'll be able to see those and give you a feel for, oh, yeah, you're right. I think that is the right order. This stuff is more important to me. And while you're at it, I think, you know, you could add this to this particular feature They can give some insight on other stuff on your roadmap. Or they might say, you know what, I see your roadmap, but I don't agree with the order. I think this is the most important thing. And I think you should move this way up in the line versus these other things right here. And you don't necessarily go and change it for one customer, but if you start seeing this recurring pattern of your customer saying, you know what, we've seen your roadmap, we don't like it, or hey, we've seen your roadmap, we want to add something else to it, this is the type of thing that starts informing you as a product manager or as a, an entrepreneur as to what kind of things you should be considering working on and what's going to add the most value to your customers. Mm, I see. And I can see actually on your website even, you publish your roadmap and, and show what you're we working do. on. Yeah, we publish a version of our roadmap so that anyone can see it. So if you go to prodpad.com slash our hyphen roadmap, it will show you what we're working on now, which is actually a full redesign of Prodpad. It's been a really exciting and challenging project, as well as what we're working on in the um, the current term, uh, sorry, in the near term and in the future. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's fantastic. And you know, I got I'm really excited to to have a play around and, and implement this in our team because you know our biggest focus right now is product, and it's pretty much me and David just focusing on product, and we consider them projects and, and rolling out like a lot more product. Yes, me and my team were I'm really really excited to uh, use ProdPad and integrate it into what we do because. One of the things that we're working on now is just scaling up product. We have quite a big community and 
and we need to service them with so many different products. Uh, and when I say products, I'm talking about online educational video courses. And may, it's not it's not as complicated as software, but we do have like one product in particular called Founders Club which is constantly evolving and we're talking about building software now specifically for the club so we can do all sorts of things like the do these next level masterminds and we're talking about today and we're always like you know when i think you know when you talked about the vision what does the vision look like the end vision when i think about that for this product in particular i have to ask you i don't know if it will ever be enough you know, once we get yeah. to, to like, what, what do you do around that? Is it ever enough? No, um, a product is never finished per se. I mean, if you're sitting here and saying, uh, we've got this thing coming up and I know exactly what it's going to look like when it's done and nothing else will happen to it again. That's a project. That's a one-off thing that you can get outsourced and have done. And you know, when it's done, you pay for it and you don't work on it again. Mm. More often than not, it sounds like in your case, um, it sounds like you're talking about an actual product. You're going to build a first version of this thing for your community and you're going to get your community on there and you're going to see what the community says about it. And some things are going to be great and some things are going to be awful and you're going to learn from that and adjust it and uh, work on it until it's better and better and better. Now, I mean, you know, this is something that hopefully you'll still be using in two years time. What does your community look like in two years time and what kind of needs do they have? Probably completely different needs than what exists today. So your vision that you set today is probably going to guide you for the next couple of years or so. But as you grow and as you evolve and as the product evolves and as the company the community members, your customers, essentially, as they mature and they get better at using your product and understanding it, their needs are going to be more complex. The the product is going to become more complex. And you'll really have to think about how you're going to manage this and what you're going to build into it next and uh, where you go with it. Mm, I see. So this brings me to my next question. Uh, user story. What is a user story? Yeah. And how do you track uh, someone's user story? Because this is something I'm thinking about a lot with Founders Club, not just the onboarding, but like how are they finding us? Yeah. Uh, you know, what so happens? User, you know, yeah, so please go on. So a, a user story, a simple way of putting it is that it's a way of expressing what a particular feature or product should do in layman's terms. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can spec out. And by spec out, I mean, if you're saying you want to build a login system, then you should probably make sure that your login system has a login button and it should have a reset password function and that it should have a create an account function as well attached to it. And so each one of these could be broken down into a user story. You might say, as a user, I want to be able to reset my password in case I forget it so that I can get back into my account. And paired with that, you would probably have what they call acceptance criteria. And acceptance criteria is basically you outlining, how do you know that this particular thing is done? Well, you know that this thing is done, this reset password, for example, is done when the customer gets an email when they prompt for one, and that if they click on the link in that email, then it prompts them to change their password. And then when they log in again, their password works. You know, So you've got all these things that you can basically say, we know that they were able to reset their password when this happens. But the core thing about a user story is that it's formatted like this. As a user, and by user we mean a type of user, not a particular person, but usually a user persona. Mm-hmm. I want X, and X is is what it is that they want to actually do. 
and then it follows with in order to why and why is the problem that they are trying to solve you know the problem isn't that they want to reset password link it's that they want to get back into their account because they've lost their password <laughs> and so by breaking them down in this way and using these as a way to talk to your developers it gives you the context as to who's using it what is it that they're supposed to do and what problem are you actually solving for them if you struggle with coming up with the in order to X part, then maybe it's actually not something that's a valuable piece for this particular user. Maybe it can be scrapped or put off into uh, your backlog somewhere as opposed to built immediately. I see. So what about the piece where we're capturing what people are doing, what pathway they go through when they find us to onboarding to where are they using? What, what tools do you recommend to capture that data and work out where people are moving across your product? What are they spending their time with in, and what particular features are really hitting home? How do you work that out? That's actually a really tough one, and it's still something that hasn't been decided or settled yet. There's no one tool that absolutely wins that game. You know, for comparison, if you have an e-commerce site or a blog or something like that, a public-facing site, mm. then Google Analytics solves pretty much all those problems. It allows yeah. you to see where they are and where they're going through Fly. and what things they've clicked on and what the conversion rates are and everything like that. It's a great tool, and it's incredible that it's free. That said, Google Analytics can do some in-product analytics, but to be honest, it's pretty limited and fiddly to work with in my experience. Yeah. There are other tools out there that will do product analytics, but at the end of the day at ProdPad, we ended up building our own because none of them quite solved our needs. None of them allowed us to, you know, it came down to things like, yes, this one will track their movements, but it'll slow down the page load, for example, and we couldn't oh, be doing with that. We needed to make sure yeah. that the app was really responsive. And other ones, we weren't able to customize the way we needed to or pull out data in the way we needed to. So we're actually creating, uh, pulling our own data directly from the server and crunching it on our side using our own sets of tools. That said, I do see more and more tools entering this area. Uh, so it's one that I'm watching myself. Mm. If someone wanted to find out some of these answers right now, is there anything that like you could comfortably recommend saying it's not the best but it will help uh so one we're looking at right now and hopefully getting set up with if all goes well is a tool called keen.io keen which does in-app product yeah it, it seems pretty cool the guys there are really cool it's a really cool company and they're uh they're very open about giving demos and helping out and they've even got a slack community to help to help them out with everything we're just trying to get set up on that to see if we can augment what we're already doing to uh to get more out of our own data, particularly with visualizing it and uh, making it easier for not just the developers and me and my co-founder, but everybody in the company to access this data. But we haven't actually finished setting it up yet, so it's hard to really make a uh, clear recommendation on one versus the other. Mm, yeah, okay, that sounds interesting though. Thank you for that, Jenna, because essentially what you want, right, is like a Google Analytics funnel, but inside your web app. Um, and if you have an e-commerce you sell a physical product or you have an e-commerce type site, you want to be tracking that and you want to see yeah. what people are doing and where they're dropping off and then you want yeah. to fill those holes. Um, and the, 
the golden thing isn't just tracking it and seeing it, but it's actually being able to respond to it, which is where a lot of this stuff kind of falls down. You know, it's not actionable. Mm. Um, we've actually just implemented a new version of our own onboarding, which actually picks up on in the first 30 seconds, how much of ProdPad did you use? In the first five minutes, how much of it did you use? In the first day, how much of it did you use? And based on your usage, we'll actually send you different emails welcoming you to ProdPad. The first email will, uh, that you get five minutes after joining is going to be different if you logged in, clicked twice, and then disappeared versus the person who logged in and started adding ideas and their products and everything else, um, yeah, wow. which is something that a lot of apps don't do. They're just kind of blind to the fact that once you're in, different stu- you know, different users are acting differently and should be treated differently. But it's not an easy one to solve. We've been essentially hacking apart a series of different tools. Uh, we used uh, Drip getdrip.com yep. for our persona-based onboarding. But even the uh, the folks at Drip who helped support us while we were coming up with this flow looked at it and went, wow, that's really complicated. Um, <laughs> I see what you're doing there, but that was really complicated. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, though, we're really seeing results. We've seen a massive uplift in our response rates to those emails and of people getting in touch and saying, yeah, you're right, I didn't use it, but you know, I re- really want to know about the next step now. So it's made a big difference for our company, and that's just something we did in the last month or so. Mm, Yeah, behavioral type stuff is where it's at. Even when it comes to email marketing, like people don't want to be spammed continuously or sent email after email if you don't even you're not even in the next part of the sequence. So you should be able to track if that person opened that email, if they watched this video, um, like how how long how far in the video did they watch and then send custom-tailored emails yeah. depending on, and uh, that will yield the best result. It's all about you know, relevancy now. Well, yeah, what you were just talking about there is kind of the world of marketing automation, and that's an area that's been blowing up over the last five or seven years or so. You'll see the likes of HubSpot and Marketo leading that one, where it allows you to track as to whether somebody downloaded your white paper and send them follow-up emails and track as to whether they spent some time on your pricing page or opened your last email or did whatever else. Uh, And there's a lot of tools in that world, but there's still, I would say, not done. You know, when you look at the likes of HubSpot or Marketo or some of those other ones, they're massive behemoths that are not cheap and are not particularly accessible to startups, particularly if you're a pre-revenue startup, just trying mm. to do the right thing and make sure that you're not over-egging it with the emails. There are now, I'm seeing more and more and more of these marketing automation tools for startups coming out. And so I think time will tell as to which one's going to be the best ones out there and, you know, who's going to be be able to provide the best service for that. I think the next thing, and this is something that we're working on here at Broadpad, is uh, product optimization, not just market automation. You know, it's one thing to make sure that somebody gets all the right emails to sign up for a free trial. But once that person signs up for a free trial, shouldn't you be giving them that same sort of care and attention and making sure they're getting the right emails from you and the the right responses from you? Mm. Uh, So that's an interesting challenge that we're chewing on right now. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? Especially when you're selling on a recurring, like a lot of these web apps or recurring SaaS products. You know, it's one thing to get people like purchasing, but it's another thing to actually keep and you have to resell every single month, right? Yep. Okay. Well, look, um, as we have to work towards wrapping up, but I have a couple uh, more questions for you, Jenna. One around the management of remote workers. There'd be a lot of people listening that, uh, you know, would have a, a remote team or a distributed team. 
you mentioned you mentioned Stripe. You mentioned sorry, not stripes. You mentioned uh, Slack. Slack. You mentioned Slack. <laughs> I don't know why I said Stripe. There's too many apps these days. But yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you mentioned Slack. You mentioned uh, Skype. But I'm curious around just like basic management techniques. Like, do you guys have a, a weekly catch up? Do you do stand ups every day? Like, tell me about that. So because our team is all over the place, it's pretty nuts. Uh, and all of us are constantly traveling as well. So we kind of have to update each other on what time zone we happen to be in at that point in time. With the developers, we have a weekly catch up to uh, check how progress is going. But for the most part, we know that they work best when they actually have some peace and quiet in between. So we make sure that we're queued up and give them the right stuff to work on and are available for questions throughout the week. But we don't have um, constant questions going back and forth on that side. We also have what we call the uh, hashtag daily standup. A lot of teams who are in the same office will attempt to do a uh, standup in the morning, talk for 10 minutes about what did you work on yesterday and what are you going to work on today and what blockers do you have or any questions for anybody else. We know that we are never in the same time zone, and so we don't try to do this at a set time per day, but we just sort of make sure that we update at least once per day in the general channel. Hashtag daily standup. Here's what I worked on. Here's what I'm working on next. You know, progress and whatnot. And it just helps keep everybody in line with what's happening. Mm. But the big thing in general, it doesn't matter what tools you're using, is that in order to work remotely, you need the right people who are good at working remotely. They're good at pacing themselves and uh, pushing themselves to deadlines, even though they don't have a boss or colleagues or anybody else there, even though they might not be working to the same hours of everybody else. But more than anything, you need trust between the team. So this is why we make sure that we get the core team together to do offsites. So for example, we've uh, all flown out, uh, flown everybody out to come to London to work together for a week. We've flown everybody out to uh, Dublin or to San Francisco. Uh, we're meeting up in London again next week. So we try to do this once or twice a quarter, every four to six weeks or so, to make sure that we're all in the same room, we're all comfortable with each other. So that way we've got that face to the name. We're not just, you're not just having to work with this set of colleagues you've never met. These are people who you trust and would work with. And it just so happens that you're not on the same continent. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very key in person. How often do you do guys do the in person catch ups? Every six months or every twelve months? In person catch ups, we try to do it every four to six weeks. Oh wow! So you fly everyone yeah. down every, together every four to six weeks. Yeah, and we're lucky because we're all in Europe right now uh, ah, okay. most of the time. Yep. Which means that you know what, you can take an easy jet flight to London or Dublin or Berlin or somewhere like that. We'll share an Airbnb and keep costs down, and otherwise spend uh, a few days just catching up and uh, getting to uh, to know each other. Yeah, well, that would be fun. It is. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, look, a couple last questions, Jenna. One, you know, you've got this epic product. It sounds like you really, really know your stuff and you're really onto something here. How do you plan to scale this business? Uh, you, uh, it sounds like you're not looking to take outside funding. How do you plan to scale? Uh, we're already seeing it scale. We're seeing our number of leads and our traffic coming in, growing. We're seeing the number of customers constantly growing. We've already grown the team. So, you know, if you looked at us a year ago, we were three people this time this year we're now six people yeah, uh, wow. with you know more than double the customers 
Um, so things are already moving up and moving quickly. Uh, it was a conscious decision not to take funding. We realized that if we took funding, then it would put us down a particular path that may or may not be the right one for us um, based on how we work, our company culture, and what it is that we're looking to achieve. Mm, awesome. All right. Well, look, um, that's it from me. I just we'll, We can uh, wrap there, but I just want to say thank you so much. This was a fantastic interview. Uh, and where is the best place people want to find you or if they want to access ProdPad? Best place to find me or ProdPad is to head to ProdPad.com. So that's P-R-O-D-P-A-D.com. We've got a blog where you can find out what uh, we've been writing writing about and talking about or hit us up at, at ProdPad uh, on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jenna. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Really uh, had a good time today. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.